Good evening, I'm Vincent Price, and welcome again to Gory Mansion, where we'll see the third story in the new, and it seems to me, the definitive dramatizations of the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. You know, I'm sure that I am not alone when I invariably visualize the great detective in his famous deerstalker cap and Inverness cape, making his way through foggy London streets, removing his curved meerschaum pipe from his mouth to utter an occasional elementary, my dear Watson. And yet, that familiar impression, for the most part, is not representative of author Conan Doyle's character. Though they have become part of the Sherlock Holmes lore, they reflect more the concepts of illustrators and dramatic interpreters than they do Doyle's writing. The Sherlock Holmes adventures, like the stories of Charles Dickens, were first published in a magazine, London's legendary Strand magazine. Sidney Paget was the most famous illustrator of the Doyle stories, and he depicted the detective in hundreds of engravings. Paget himself used to wear a deerstalker hat or fore and aft when he went tramping across the countryside, so it's not surprising that he drew homes in the same type of cap, but only when the great man's adventures took him to the country. Similarly, Paget illustrated homes on many train journeys in the very practical Inverness Cape, which gentlemen of the period wore to protect their finer clothes from railway soot and cinders, as well as from, uh, from the damp and drafts. Of course, what happened was that Paget's drawings gave readers an indelibly memorable picture of Holmes, and they became the model for countless other artists and actors who presented Holmes in cap and cape no matter where the tenacious detective pursued his villains. There is a worldwide revival of interest in Holmes as a literary character. And it is this interest in the Doyle texts themselves which convinced Britain's Granada television to film these faithful versions. The transition from print to film often made some very heavy demands on the screenwriters as did the need to clarify Doyle's obvious inconsistencies and contradictions in many of the very hastily written stories. But the production collaborators were able, without slavishly adhering to every word that the Victorian author wrote, to fashion authentic adaptations of the original stories. As you'll see now in one of the most famous stories, The Adventure of the Dancing Men. And welcome to the LBC Irregulars, a story-by-story -story review of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes series produced by Granada Television between 1984 and 1994. I'm your host, Gene Gene, the podcast and machine Hendrix, and joining me is the David Burke to my Jeremy Brett, Jared Albrecht. How are you, sir? I know you... you okay, so the guys at home can't see me. I'm doing semaphore. Can you see me doing this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how how do you get little flags that tiny? <laughs> it's, you have to order them off online. Anyway, no, I'm doing great, man, and I'm happy to be back talking about episodes two and three for the first time, both of them for the first time. Yes, yes, definitely for the first time for both of them, yes. It's not like I messed up and accidentally didn't download and we lost the first recording. That that was a specific example. Let's move on. Yeah, I, I yeah. Well. <laughs> Because we're doing two episodes, this time out, we welcome our first guests, the Edward Hardwick of the show, which means an older and more sedate Watson, Jason Weasel Skull Albrecht. How are you, sir? Having a strange sense of deja vu here. <laughs> <laughs> like I've been here before. 
been well, not, that's, you, you do the other Sherlock Holmes show. That's what you're. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. That's what it is. And Gene okay. podcasts from the LBC garage. So you've yeah. clearly been to the LBC garage before. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. I'm uh, using my powers of deduction. I can deduce that you have a dog. Yes. Your dog's name is starts with an A. I'm going to guess Axel. Mm. I think that dog is currently in your bedroom. It's in a position where it can see you, I think. That's and I amazing. <laughs> yeah. Now you say it's amazing, but you know, when I tell you how I deduce this, you're just going to say that it's a piece of cake. It's easy. Yeah. <laughs> how absurdly simple. <laughs> how absurdly simple, right? And I deduced it because I can see on the wall behind you. Well, actually, I can see you and I can see you talking to me and you told me all these things. So that's how I deduced it. <laughs> And we also have our very own Percy Phelps, known as Watson's school friend, Delvin the Dark Web Williams. How are you, sir? Well, I am okay. I'm just staying calm and sedate. I really don't want to get too much in a panic. Don't know if you guys know this, but I'm kind of like by nature, I can't get too excited or I just go into these fainting. We, we lost him. <laughs> Tadpole down. Tadpole down. Fainting spells. What I I was saying, fainting spells. So I have to keep everything very mellow, Gene. I'm sorry. (laughs) You're in the wrong place for mellow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So having listened to Saturday Matinee Theater, I know that you guys have never actually seen the Jeremy Brett series before I basically forced it on Jared. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I do thank you. I love it. Jason, Delvin, from what you've seen so far, what are you thinking about it? I've seen it all. I've watched every episode. Jason Seriously. went full speed. I went full he got speed, <laughs> That you is dedication, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> uh, I like the show so much, the one that we're going to talk about this evening, that I watched every episode and, and the movies. Nice. So, loved it. Yeah, very much like Percy. I've been taking it slow. <laughs> I don't want to get your dander up. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't get my dander up too much. I, I've seen episodes two and three, and that's it. That is all I've seen from Jeremy Brett. And I will go further and answer your question about what do I think about what I've seen so far without talking mm-hmm. about the episodes. At first, you know, there's that lazy man mentality of I'm watching a 52 minute episode, and I'm like. Ugh. <laughs> 52 minutes, I'm used to the Ron Howard in 26, and then I had to kind of check myself because I've seen an hour and a half, two, probably two-hour movie of Sherlock Holmes or Robert Downey Jr., but I've also seen the 2010s Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman, which were 90 minutes. And so like now I've seen at least three different lengths of Sherlock Holmes, so this was right in the middle. And I want to add also, it looks like everyone, everyone was telling us who visited Saturday Matinee Theater was true because I got the sense that looking at Jeremy Brett's Sherlock Holmes, that that was what Benedict Cumberbatch was riffing off of. If there's a ratio between that and Ron Howard's, I would say 130% of this Holmes and 0% of Ron Howard. It's good LBC math. Yes. <laughs> it's irregular. Irregular <laughs> math. Well, I'm glad you brought up Benedict Cumberbun and Robert Downey Jr. Did either of you have a favorite Sherlock Holmes actor of what you've seen so far? Obviously, if you haven't seen somebody, he couldn't be your favorite actor. I enjoyed the heck out of Benedict Cumberbatch. Just the eccentricity of it. And they definitely played more on the eccentricities in Sherlock than at least the two episodes that I watched of this version of Sherlock Holmes. They kind of, to me, it was like whimsy with this version of Sherlock Holmes. With the Sherlock of Cumberbatch, it was almost borderline crippling illness. <laughs> As a, okay, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, much like Delvin, I compared the two, the Jeremy Brett to the Benedict Cumberbatch, and there are a lot of similarities. I think my favorite that I've seen so far is Jeremy Brett. I think his eccentricities are more 
it's a combination of I think probably what we would think of today as probably some sort of you know some sort of societal thing. <laughs> Jason's time is up. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I like Jeremy Breath. <laughs> Your two minutes is up. <laughs> Jeremy Breath's my favorite. He's good. Uh, okay. It's good to know. I mean, I'm I'm glad you're enjoying them, Jason, or have enjoyed them since you've watched them all. So yeah, far. I did. <laughs> Some were definitely better than others. Jared and I were talking about this the other day. I think the one advantage the Ron Howards had were they were 30 minutes long. And some of these episodes that are based on the books, I think some of them probably would have been better as 30-minute episodes. And they seem to have to try to really stretch it to get a full hour. But then there were some that an hour is a perfect length for that particular story. So I guess that's the one advantage I would say that the Ron Howards have since they were all 30 minutes, you never felt like something was really watered down. Okay, I can see that. Like you said, it depends episode to episode, you know, story to story. And we'll talk about these two stories more in a little while. You know, if you look at these, you can tell that at least the set dressing and everything, it's quite on the fancy side. Mm-hmm. But you know what else is fancy? Nice transition. I like it. I like it. <laughs> I like where he's going. And I, I didn't even see it coming. I was like, go on. Go on. <laughs> fancy. I'll tell you what's fancy. Getting your comic books hardbound with OmahaBound.com. I've had several volumes of hard-to-find comic books bound by them. They do a wonderful job. And if you want to be fancy like me, and I know that you do, head to OmahaBound.com today. Check out their website. I understand they might have a pause because they got inundated with people wanting to be fancy like me. So you might not be able to get anything bound now, but keep checking the website, see when their availabilities come out. And oh, by the way, they also sell some of their pre-bound, hard-to-find stuff in independent titles. So it's totally worth checking out omahabound.com today. And now it's time for Gene to give us the recap of episode two of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes. If you're not familiar with the dancing men, you might just get the ending spoiled. So there's your spoiler warning. If you don't want spoilers, pause here. Go watch the dancing men. Not Delvin's dancing. You guys can't see him, but S S S S A A A. No, that's the men without hats, Jason. Anyway, go watch the dancing men. While you're at it, watch the naval treaty and meet us back here. So the dancing men, Elsie and Hilton Cubit. What's a Cubit? Let's see, a Cupid. I used to know what a Cupid was. Uh... Well, don't worry about that. Live happily at Riddling Thorpe Manor, up to the day when live sticks figures drawn on a bench frightens Elsie out of her wits. Hilton, distraught, comes and seeks the advice from Holmes. Holmes tries to decipher the language of the dancing men and soon succeeds, deducing the identity of the author, Abe Slaney. Holmes asks an American inspector for information about Slaney. While he is waiting for an answer, Hilton forwards him a last message. It means, Elsie, prepare to meet thy god. Holmes and Watson rush towards the manor. Too late. Hilton has been shot dead, and Elsie, who has attempted to commit suicide, is charged with the murder. Holmes is convinced that the culprit is Slaney, who is wanted in America, and lures him with a coded message. Slaney falls into the trap and confesses that he wanted to force Elsie to flee with him. While Elsie begged her undesirable suitor to leave her alone, Hilton appeared suddenly, and Slaney shot him. Cleared, Elsie is free to spend the rest of her life at Riddling Thorpe Manor. Well done, Gene, and now it's time for some highs and lows, where each of us take a look at the good and the bad of the episode. And we will start with the Weasels call himself Jason. Hi, low, what the? I really like this episode. One of the things that I particularly enjoyed about it was it did a really good job of capturing the drama of him actually decoding the code, which, Mm -hmm. you know, while it was interesting in the book, I was wondering, how are they going to translate that onto the screen? The way they did it was very interesting. And it really showed kind of the the manic personality of Holmes, where he can get to the highest of highs and then the lowest of lows when he can't figure it out, or he's waiting for that crucial bit of information. And there's even that one point where he 
looks at that needle in his desk, which is always right there. That's his escape when things just get too dull for him. That was a really interesting way that they wove a lot of the Sherlock Holmes mythos into that scene and captured the drama of him decoding a code on a chalkboard. I thought that's just brilliant the way they did that. Definitely, definitely agree. Delvin, what do you think? Hi, low, what the tag along to Jason? What you got? I'll tag along with Jason somewhat, especially his last point. And it was a point that I made earlier about how this version of Sherlock Holmes, any of his eccentricities are seen as foibles, as, ah, it's okay. And Watson just kind of casually mentioned, oh, yeah, yeah, a lot of us on the something cocaine. And I'm like, what? I say what? (laughs) (laughs) Coke. So, I mean, because I'm just saying, even now in the year of our Lord, 2020, if I were to casually say, you know what, guys, I'm a little bored, so I'm going to do some lines of cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Only Pat would condone that. (laughs) (laughs) Pat, you're out. (laughs) You got to get some more. Pat, possibly Sean Connery. And (laughs) But other than that, it would be like, wait, what'd you say? And they were just kind of like, kind of just a foible that made me laugh a little bit. Now, that had nothing to do with the mystery in itself. But when I first saw that, it definitely raised my eyebrow. Same here. Gene, talk to me about your eyebrows. Well, they're about this far above my eyes. They actually connect in the middle. Oh, sorry. Um, My high on this one is going to be David Burke as Watson. Yes. Uh, This is a Watson, and Jason knows this from having seen the later ones. This is a Watson that can be a smartass. (laughs) He can really go after Holmes and just needle him every now and again, but he also has some genuine reactions. Like when they're interviewing the cook and the housekeeper, he leans in and is like, hey, dummy, let the shocked old woman sit down. And Holmes like, fine. <laughs> Would you like to sit down? <laughs> yeah. He realizes what he's doing because like we've joked about in the beginning, as soon as I tell you the intermediate steps, you're going to tell me how absurdly simple. Oh, I promise I won't goes through it how absurdly simple and then he's like i did Ah. did (laughs) Did exactly what you said i was gonna yeah yeah so watson is definitely my high how about you jared what do you say for this one uh this one i'm gonna piggyback right off of what you said gene just from a different angle i loved the scene where holmes is just 100 percent holmes solving the mystery asking the questions and then watson has to lean in whisper 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 ah yes would you like to sit down (laughs) That is like perfect Holmes Watson in a three-second clip. Watched it with my wife. She laughed when it happened. But that is such the summary of them. Holmes just so focused that he doesn't understand the human element. Watson being his bridge to humanity. And I just thought that was wonderful. With that, let's go into our second and, well, it probably will be the final round since Pat's not here. Jason, hi. Low, what the, in your second round. I'm going to keep on that theme of Watson being the human element of Holmes, because one of the best scenes and the lines that I liked in that episode came after Holmes pretty much grilled mercilessly his client. Yes. You know, that guy, the guy comes to him <laughs> for help. Right. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, I met this young woman. And it's like, and when did storm clouds start to come on the horizon? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and afterwards, Watson says, well, you were less than sympathetic. And, Holmes says, he doesn't come to me for sympathy. That, again, as you were saying, Jared, that really shows the difference. That human element of Watson and Holmes is like, get to the point so we can solve this thing. <laughs> if this was the internet when he said that, he doesn't come to me for sympathy. It would have like froze and the sunglasses would have come on. It would have been like, da, 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 da. <laughs> deal with it, you know? <laughs> but I'm going to pull a pat and I'm going to throw one more out here. So oh, I get another turn. Couldn't help him. I got I to gotta throw it out to it. This is one of my favorite supporting characters of all time is in this episode. My boy, Walker. Oh, Walker yeah. the Iron <laughs> Man, man. Is there a lazier SOB in Victorian <laughs> London than Walker? Uh, like, I guess, oh, uh, you, you know, I'm going to have to rush to make the post. <laughs> like, you'll right. do as you're told. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> I guess. Did you wipe the, the men off the wall like I asked you to? I'll get to it. 
<laughs> should, My name's Walker, called, not Runner, man. <laughs> should be called Mosier, not Walker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I aspire to live a life like Walker. Walker, like I'm pretty sure that I supervised some of Walker's descendants when I was in the military. <laughs> Oh, speaking of my military friends, Delvin, round two. Hi, love what the? I'll say what the. Elsie, uh, we better be glad her name wasn't like Zadarsky or something, right? <laughs> because Holmes would have had one hell of a time. So. <laughs> <laughs> she had some sort of Czechoslovakian name. He would have been out. <laughs> What's your name? Zinix. Oh, come on. <laughs> Delvin with the code-breaking jokes tonight. I love it. <laughs> I mean, it, it came to me because that was the start of what Holmes used to crack the code was Elsie. And thankfully, you know, it is was a traditionally spelled E-L-S-I-E because getting that E is the start of any English language cracking the code, which was very well done. And I like how he wasn't sure about some and they made sure that he didn't just perfectly solve everything, but that he solved most of it. And that was enough to glean the clues that he was already too late and to sort of piggyback off of that point. It was really, really interesting that by the time they went out to the manor, they were already too late to prevent the murder from occurring. And you can tell just the look on Holmes' face, how upset and disappointed by both he and Watson actually were that they were unable to stop the murder from happening, but they still wanted to see justice served. Yeah, he wasn't about to play with that constable either when he walked in. He told him, he's like, are we going to work together or am I going to perform my own line of inquiry? As in, are you going to get in my way or are you going to stay out of my way? (laughs) Once again, Holmes was the meme. (laughs) Very cool, very cool. And Gene, high, lower, what the... I'm going to give it another high, and this is going to be comparing it to the original story. In the original, like with most mystery stories, the detective keeps everything to him and then explains it at the end. In this version, because it was made for TV, you get to see more of the process. You see Holmes starting to solve everything, figuring it out. He doesn't wait to explain it all at the very end. He's, oh, well, you know, if... This is E, and a flag denotes the end of a word, then we can work it out from here, as opposed to in the story where he's more or less explaining that in the cab ride to the train at the very end of the story. Mm. Gotcha, yeah. For my last round, I just want to say it was good solving. I'm just nerdy enough that I really got into code cracking as a teenager. Yeah, surprise, surprise, right? (laughs) Just for everybody out there who is into it, He's absolutely right. E is the most commonly used letter, and Delvin will do that as well. And if you want to go a little farther, it spells EATS, E-A-T, and S are your most commonly used four letters. I just want to drop that on you, a little bit of nerdiness. But before I give up my round, I want to call an audible from our playbook here. And I want to start with Delvin just briefly, because this isn't in the script and Gene's sweating already. We've done, I don't know, 30-something, 30-ish Sherlock Holmes with Ron Howard. And now you've seen the Jeremy Brett. So could I get sort of a specific... A take from you on comparison. Ron Howard, Jeremy Brett, what do you think? Just a pure comparison of the, of the actors playing the part. Ron Howard playing Holmes is more whimsical. If that person were to travel and come into Ron Howard's 221B, he would have given a quip or a joke and diffused the situation and then sent the person along his way. He wouldn't have been as brusque and abrupt as Jeremy Brett's. That's the biggest difference that I see between the two. Got a favorite? It's hard, isn't it? Because they're so different. (laughs) I'm more familiar. At this point, I have seen more of Ron Howard's Sherlock Holmes than any other one. It's hard to come off of Ron Howard after you've done so many. (laughs) And and man, and between that and the interplay between Holmes and Watson, too, the Holmes-Watson interplay, nothing so far beats, my opinion, the Ron Howard and um, H. Marion Crawford. That dynamic between those two, I think, were just amazing. They seemed like they genuinely liked each other. But the interesting thing is it was understood in Jeremy Brett's that they were friends. That was never really in doubt. But they didn't necessarily seem friendly with each other to me. 
And I was like, well, okay. It may have taken a few more episodes of me to watch this to really see that bond come in because in episode three, which we're about to talk about, Holmes did that all. I mean, it was an interesting mystery, but he did it more as a favor because this was Watson's friend, which is not something that you would have just done. You do that for someone that you care about helping out a friend of theirs as well. But your main question was about just the Holmes and who do I like more at this point? It's still Howard, but I can fully understand why the Jeremy Brett version is the one that has long endured. And whatever next version of Sherlock there will be, that version is going to be riffing off of Jeremy Brett and off of Cumberbatch more than it will be Howard. And I can understand why that misanthrope is more interesting than the kind of clever witty guy, especially in modern culture. That was an exceptionally good answer. Jason, follow that. <laughs> My cat's breast smells like that. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Oh. <clears throat> well, I think just to piggyback off of what Delvin said, I think that there's a comfort level with the Ron Howard Sherlock Holmes. And like Delvin, I've been with him for many, many an episode now. Having said that, I think there's something sort of one dimensional about the character. I mean, they've got the he's very smart element of Sherlock Holmes down. And he plays witting, charming. And they're like just two charming, like, bosom buddies, he and Watson, which is fine. I enjoy that. I like it. It's comfort food. And we've got some good mysteries. And we had some great episodes with the Ron Howard Sherlock Holmes. Having said all that, I think that there's something much more interesting and multifaceted about the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes. And one of the things I picked up watching all the way through this is that Watson isn't just a friend to Holmes. Watson is how Holmes functions. And what we see when Watson is away for long periods of time, like we saw it, I think, and it was the third episode that we're going to talk about later when he comes in and the room's just a mess. He's like shooting bullets in the wall. I mean, the guys, he's off his tits, as they say <laughs> in England, you know, and he just cannot function. And we see that throughout the episode. And I really like how the drug use or the threat of drug use comes into play. Watson never says in any of the episodes I've watched at this point, never gives him a lecture or anything. He never even brings it up. But he knows. He knows when Holmes is dabbling or about to dabble. And we saw it when he goes to the desk drawer and he kind of opens it up to look to see if the needle's still there or not. It's very interesting. It's like that unspoken thing, that demon that's just in the room that nobody wants to talk about. So I find all those elements very interesting about the Jeremy Brett character. That's a long-winded way of saying, I think Jeremy Brett probably is the closer incarnation and my favorite incarnation that I've seen of Sherlock Holmes to the canon so far. Got it. And that is it for these rounds. I appreciate you guys, your thoughts on that. And I'll hand it back to Gene. All right. So overall, what did we think of the episode? Well, we just so happen to have a rating scale for that. On a scale of one to five pipes, luckily Pat ain't here. <laughs> five meaning you loved it. It solved your mystery. Four, it was really good. Three, it was all right. Two, you didn't like it. And one, you hated it. It threw you off of Reichenbach Falls. How would you guys rate this story? Delvin. This is my first. I am always reticent to give a first to five because I think it's an unnecessary expectation. But what I noticed from it is that it was gripping and that I was actively paying attention to it, which is a good sign for what very clearly is a good and beloved series. I give it a four. Very nice. Uh, Jason, how about yourself? I'm going to give it a four as well. Like we talked about, I've had the luxury of seeing all of the episodes. So I do have some context to where to put this, and I think Delvin's instincts are right on. This is definitely above average episode, not the best one or amongst the best I've seen in the episodes, but definitely in the top tier, so four for me as well. All right, off to a good start. 
Jared, how about yourself? I'm going to keep the four train rolling. I liked it. Thought it was real solid for just the same reasons the fellas said. What about you, Gene? Uh, I'm going to be right there with all you guys. It's a four for me as well. Like Jason, I've seen all of them. I know that there are fives coming, but this wasn't quite there yet. They're still finding their feet, but is very good adaptation of the original story. Gripping just all around. I give it a four as well. So we have opened the door, got on the floor, and everybody rated it a four. All right. But where is this Percy Phelps that Gene mentioned at the top of the show? Well, he's in our second story for this episode, The Naval Treaty. Welcome to Mystery. I'm Vincent Price. Tonight, the fourth story in our series, The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Dr. Watson, in speaking of the keen detective, once lamented that the stage lost a fine actor, even as science lost an acute reasoner, when Holmes became a specialist in crime. Well, Watson needn't have worried too much about the loss to the stage, for Quite a few actors have become Sherlock Holmes on the stage, in the movies, on television, radio, and records, even in a ballet. In our new dramatic series, Jeremy Brett provides us with, a, with an exquisitely honed performance, which, by the way, the London Times recently declared the best Holmes ever. Brett joins a distinguished brotherhood of actors who have interpreted Conan Doyle's character, including Sir John Gielgud, Sir Cedric Hardwick, Sir Ralph Richardson, George C. Scott, and John Barrymore. A few seasons ago, Jeremy Brett played Watson to Charlton Heston's Sherlock in Los Angeles, which Brett says helped him enormously in the development of his relationship with Watson in this Granada television series, and does, I think, create new dimensions in that famous friendship. Watson, previously, has been most often depicted as a a bumbling, slow-witted clod. Conan Doyle often used contemporary history as a basis for some of Sherlock Holmes' original adventures. In 1887, England and Italy had negotiated a maritime agreement which, at all costs, they wanted kept secret from France and Russia. This document and the intrigue surrounding it suggested to the popular author the beginnings of Holmes' involvement in The Adventure of the Naval Treaty. And here's Gene to give us the recap of that story. Again, if you're not familiar with this story, you might just get your ending spoiled. Go watch it now. Watson receives a call from help from his former schoolmate, Percy Phelps. Phelps' nerves have been shattered by an awful misfortune, and he is nursed by his fiancée, Annie, and her brother, Joseph. Some months ago, the foreign secretary put Phelps in charge of copying a top-secret naval treaty. Having gone for a cup of coffee, he heard the bell in his own office ringing. Panic-stricken, Phelps came back up and saw that the treaty was gone. Holmes and Watson have a close look around Phelps' office, find out that the treaty has not yet been sold to a foreign country. Holmes and Watson go back to see Percy, who is sleeping for the first time without a night nurse, and has noticed somebody trying to force his window open. Holmes, suspecting Joseph, asks Annie to spend the entire day in Percy's bedroom and to lock the door at night while he is off to London with Phelps and Watson. Holmes, however, leaves his companion soon after they depart and at nightfall returns to Percy's house. The morning after, at breakfast time, he is back in London. Holmes explains that, hidden in the stable, he saw Joseph entering by the window of the room where Percy used to sleep, and caught him with the treaty. Joseph had not foreseen that Percy would fall ill, and that he would remain in the room where the treaty was hidden for nine weeks. Holmes fought the villain and won back the treaty, bringing it back to its rightful owner. Well done, Gene. Thank you for that. I'm glad you pointed it out, too, because that's what left out when uh, my wife and I watched this episode. Like, 10 weeks, <laughs> this guy must have been driven out of his oh, mind. He, he was a very, very fragile man. Yes. 
Dude, was pooping hot cocoa, man. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime Jason says pooping hot cocoa, that means it's time to move on to the script. So now it is time for highs and lows once again. And Delvin, you lead us off on this episode, sir. Since I'm in more of a witty, whimsical mood here, like I, I have to start because you think out of all the incarnations that I have paid attention to Watson that I would have gotten that he was Navy because that was where his, his buddy was from, right? No, no. Watson, Watson's Army. Yeah. They went to school together. Yeah, they were they, they were in boarding school together. Okay. All right. I was going to say, because I had a whole joke there that, you know, he chose the Navy. There's no service that he wanted. He chose the Navy. <laughs> Might explain the feigning spells. Okay. So <laughs> I, I will instead pivot then and say, I kind of wish that they had done a little bit more with Percy. Percy seemed like a likable enough fellow, but I'm not a fan of when they played the women back in the day that does all the feigning spells and the trolls, because after a while, it's like, okay, you're pretty much useless. That's what I felt about Percy, which was sad. He was just the damsel waiting to be rescued from distress. And I wasn't the hugest fan of that. Interesting take. Yeah, he was the Dale Arden of (laughs) this Right. (laughs) We can well, cross it's funny because it's like there's a hooded guy with a knife trying to break into his room, and he's like, hmm, this is interesting. You know? <laughs> he's like, I lost a piece of paper. <laughs> it's really weird priorities. Oh, Jason, go ahead and roll that into your higher level. I think I'm going to take my high and move it to the very end of the episode upon resolution of the mystery. Holmes could have had the perpetrator arrested, imprisoned, but... This is one of the times when he kind of uses his judgment to say, well, what's the cost benefit of doing that? If I do that, then he's going to get questioned and Percy's mess up, which basically it was. I mean, at the end of the day, Percy left the top secret document out of his desk and guarded to go get coffee and some donuts. That's not something I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) Not that can be proven anyway. (laughs) Nothing you can prove in court. But in all seriousness, and so Holmes actually just kind of lets the perpetrator get away in order to save Percy's dignity. And I think that's an interesting character element that's really brought to the fore in this episode. I like that. I want to add to that, Jason, and just say it also wasn't really a matter of national security. The guy who stole the document just lucked onto it. He wasn't being nefarious and like, you know, a Ukrainian spy or whatever. He was just the dude that lucked into a happenstance. So it became a lot less important of a mystery than they initially thought. Yeah, he was the dog that caught the car. Yeah, I'll just roll into mine, and I kind of gave it away at first. More of a what? They're like, how are you going to have a 10-week-long panic attack? At what point did you start to recover? He's like, ah, lost the paper. Three weeks later, no one's found the paper yet. Three weeks later, I still haven't found the paper. I mean, come on. If you listen to Watson telling Holmes about him in the beginning, it's like, oh, yeah, we beat the snot out of this kid every day (laughs) at school. So, yeah, he's probably a little bit on the fragile side. He's, He's one fragile cat. I mean, he had a mission and he chose to accept it. What was Percy's last name? Phelps. So Mr. Phelps had a mission and he chose to. <laughs> there we go. The joke all came together. With that, I'll pass it to Gene. <laughs> all right, um, I'm actually, I'm going to give Annie a high on this one. When we were watching it today, my wife, you know, we've seen all these and I'm just watching them as we're doing these episodes. But <laughs> my wife pointed out, she is very, very severe with Holmes. When Holmes goes off on this whole Rose thing, which was actually in the original story. He just kind of veers into right field, just picking up a rose and going on about how that's the proof of the existence of God. And it's like, okay. She goes right at him and says, do you have any hope for solving this mystery right here? <laughs> you know, the thing you're talking to us about? <laughs> so Holmes got caught up with a Pat Sampson synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> so she she really took it to him and brought him back to reality and i thought that was really well done yeah i i gotta admit that when I, i'd watched it once before and i rewatched it for our recording tonight yesterday and when i say rewatch that's a little bit of a lie i re-listened 
Because, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm an artist. And so <laughs> I sit there and I'll draw and I'll just listen. And he went off on that tangent and I'm drawing and I'm like, he gets probably a minute into it. And I'm like, what the hell is... <laughs> What does this have to do with anything? I thought the flower might have to do with the mystery or whatever. And when it didn't, it's like, ah, (laughs) all right. (laughs) Oh, Delva, do you have any uh, final thoughts for the final round? I had to think about it for a second. To me, this one was more cut and dried than the first one. It wasn't as important. But I'll at least wax poetic a little bit about like the guy who ran into this and like saw the treaty and knew its worth and then hit it. Man, if I were the thief, I would like even like you mentioned Percy's panic attacks on the other end of it. I'm like, oh, my God, leave the room. I would have set that house on fire. <laughs> it's a nice, a nice cool day. It won't be cool after I give you another sandwich. there's just i i would have made you're right any excuse to vacate that room and he was just like no i'm just gonna wait no i would have waited like 10 minutes i would not have had that patience i wouldn't have done it percy percy i saw the treaty it's out on the front lawn go get it (laughs) a piece of paper that says treaty handwritten (laughs) r's backwards Good point, though, Delva. That guy, yeah, like you're already freaked out. You can't get to it. It's like, oh, great. Sherlock Holmes is here now. <laughs> the whole thing is falling apart. Oh, Jason, what do you think? Final round. I liked Holmes hiding out in that bale of hay like Predator, man. <laughs> just, just waiting for, for homeboy to show up. That is some commitment to your job, son. That's a uh, great job on uh, setting up the ambush. Holmes... <laughs> Waiting to ambush. He waited like six hours too, man. Good for him. Good for Holmes. Well, speaking of Holmes, he's going to be my final high. Is going to be some of the Jeremy Brett, I guess, idiosyncrasies. I have two of them that sprung to mind. I really like the way that Holmes is, even though he's sort of a straight shooter in all business. Every once in a while, he gets that flair for the dramatic that is borderline a hole. Like the way he made that guy wait like on breakfast to reveal that he had the treaty. That they were looking for for 10 weeks, but it was pretty. <laughs> cha, 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 cha. That was pretty funny. You want this? You want this treaty? Come here, come here. Oh, oh you almost you, had it. You almost had it. <laughs> you can't take shocks. Let me give you a huge shock first thing in the morning. <laughs> the other thing was much, much more subtle. And I'd have to look to Jason and Gene, because even though I have read all these before, honestly, I read them all in like seventh and eighth grade. So my memory is hazy. But it struck a chord with me when Holmes kind of hopped up on the chair and put his feet up. And I thought, I think I read that in the book that he don't, they call it the Holmes perch or he perches. Yeah. He like literally perches on furniture. Yeah. And I thought Watson, that was cool. In this one, Watson actually describes it. Holmes gets onto the chair and wraps his arms around his shins. And that um, is in the books. If I remember right. It is. Think, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. And I was like, that's a cool little detail to kind of, see him do that and like i haven't watched them all like jason or gene but i've gotten to just past the reichenbach falls episode and i've seen him do it again so it's it's sort of a part of his character and i just appreciate the tiny details that'll be it for me and i'll pass it to gene this is going to be more of a what the and that's the slow motion shadow fight at the end that <laughs> every time i see that i'm like I liked it. What? Was that the only one that liked it? It's not that I didn't like it. It It was just, it was out of place. The slow knife comes in, Holmes, ah, you cut my hand. (laughs) And then you see the shadow of him holding holding the sword on him. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I gotta gotta say, spoiler alert for future episodes. You know, like I said, I'm only up to just post Reichenbach Falls. I have not been impressed with a fight scene yet. They're all sort of done in a weird way. There's always yeah. something just slightly weird about how they do the action. And well, I, I'm not saying it's bad, but it's it's what you're saying about the shadow fight. Yeah, it's not a low. It's just a what the. Yeah, it's just so, weird. Yeah, you know, the whole thing kind of switched a little. It's, shadow it's fighting. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, Holmes isn't necessarily a fighter, although he does do some boxing oh and, yeah uh, oh yeah there is one cool one coming up oh yeah there's one cool one coming up i just remember <laughs> <laughs> he laid but, that boy out too man yeah it, it majority it, he is not throwing hands and watson doesn't do much of that in this either but yeah it's uh it just kind of i've seen this episode 
at least 10 times. Every time it's like, oh, I forgot about this part. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you get to the trippy parts of 2001. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, like, it's got weird fast. <laughs> All right. Well, good discussion, gentlemen. With that, let's go back to Gene. Everybody get those pipes back up. All right. Yeah, we're back to our one to five pipes on this episode again. Five mean you loved it, solved your mystery. One you hated it, threw you off Reichenbach Falls. Jason, how would you rate this episode? Can't get this one quite as much as the four that I gave it the previous. It's close, but I'm going to have to settle on a three for this one. All right. Delvin, how about yourself? I'm at the same. I'm at a three. I definitely like the mysteries where Holmes isn't 100% sure. He's like 98% sure because right? he's like, I think it's in the room. But I don't know where. So I got to get somebody else to fill in that last 2% for me. I always liked those mysteries. But this one compared to the second one was a little bit sore. Had I watched it alone, I may have given it a four. But watching it in conjunction with two, it gets a three. I'll go next and kind of riff off of what you just said, Delvin. I'm also giving it a three, partially because of Scandal Mohinia, where Holmes did more or less the same trick. I will let him show me where it is. So mm-hmm. that plus the what the I already gave it, that gives it just a, it was all right for me. Jared, how about yourself? Well, if musical genius Joe November was here, he'd probably give it a 3.5. But I'm going to just go with the cool guys. We're three's company, you guys, because it's all three, 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 three. <laughs> We're trying to hurry. (laughs) (laughs) version. But before we ride off in our handsome cab for this episode, let's thank the Crusaders Club members who helped pay the rent here at 221B. These are the fine folks that have contributed to our crusade. They enjoyed early access to special long box episodes, voting to help determine show content, a quarterly newsletter, and so much more. These are the folks reaping the benefits and giving some much appreciated support to the show. Anthony at TFU.info. Auburn Elvis. Bill Beer. Blast it or stash it. Bob Buster. Braxton Underwood. Clinton Robinson. Dave Collins, a.k.a. Battlewagon. The Duchess. Gerald Green. Greg Van Leuven. I, the Collector. Ivor Evans. Jeremy L. Jim Jarman. Joe Thomas. Dr. John Watson. Jose Poyo. Josh, Principal Strickland, Slackers. Monstrous, Mark Hatherley. Maxwell Trevor. Miranda W. Maybe a dingo ate you, Paul Hicks. <laughs> See, I, le- <laughs> I leaned into it this time. <laughs> gotta do it. You got to. Rick of Jeff and Rick Present. Rob Morgan. Ryan Daly. Samantha Maney. Sean Urbanski. Steve Cronin. Tim Price. Toronto Cop. And one-time donor, Brad Morin. As usual, if we missed anyone on our list, we apologize. Keep in mind, we record these episodes well in advance of release, so if you're a recent edition, we'll add you soon. But no worries, just let us know that we missed you by sending an email to contact at longboxcrusade.com. We'll fix it. As a reminder, you can become a Crusaders Club member by heading over to patreon.com and searching for Longbox Crusade for as little as $1 a month. Is that a typo? It's not? No? That's not, that's not how you're good. Keep going. Dollar a month. You get access to the amazing world of Crusaders Club. Come check it out. And we garnered a little bit of feedback from our premiere episode. And I'll let Delvin pick which feedback he's most interested in. Choose wisely. Well, in that case, I'll go with GLHG, who said, great first episode. Gene, welcome to the crew. Soon we will take over the world with the devil's horns, the podcast world. And I don't know how many shows you turned me over to, but no, I'm going to be looking for this one. Hashtag LBC Irregulars. Hashtag I'm following LBC Irregulars. We love you, GL. That's pretty sweet. Thanks, GL. Thank you very much. Gene, go ahead and pick from the two that remain. All right. I'm going to go with our good friend in the basement, Coffee and Comics. And he says, hashtag I'm following home. Wait a minute. (laughs) We duped him. (laughs) How are you going to have two home shows on one network? I don't know, but we're managing. 
some. We got more sense thing. than that. Uh, somebody yeah, I remember we did too. Yeah, we did two shows. <laughs> Somebody's excited about it. Jason, who's excited about it? Well, it's unpacking the power of Power Pack, and they said, "Woohoo! Another show, another new show." That's right. Everybody's loving it. This was Gene's brainchild. That's why we gave him some room in the garage, and he has not let us down. Speaking of which, back to Gene. Yes, that will wrap up these two. Count them two stories. We love to hear from you. If you're familiar with the originals or the Granada adaptions, you can get us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Longbox Crusade, or you can email us contact at longboxcrusade.com. And if you'd like to chat with me personally, I can be found at Yard Sale Artist, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all Yard Sale Artist, Gene. Uh, you can find me on pretty much all the social medias. Uh, if you just search for The Hammer Strikes and you'll find me. Delvin? You can find me on Twitter, D-E-E underscore R-A-Y-1977. Let's pass it to the Weasel Skull. Thanks, Delvin. You can find me at Weasel Skull on Twitter or at Jason Albrick on Facebook and Instagram. All right, be sure to join us next quarter as we take a look at episode four, The Solitary Cyclist, and possibly another one. But then it wouldn't be solitary. I want to read to you guys one of the funniest things that uh, that Gene sent me today in our messaging. I told him, uh, I've mentioned to you guys that we needed to be uh, sharp tonight, not wander around too much. Gene's trying to get to bed after a long day. Gene says, I'll try to have a firmer hand on the hosting as well. And to that, I said to Gene, you've never podcasted with Jason before. <laughs> <laughs> to which I point out, no, I have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what you boys doing? <laughs> <laughs> and you probably hear my wife yelling at him right now. <laughs> I can deduce that you have a wife. <laughs> Excuse me. I can deduce that your wife is telling your dog to lay down. <laughs> and your dog is saying, screw you. I ain't laying that. <laughs> No, I won't bark down. No, I won't bark. <laughs> you can take my toys, you can take my ball, but I won't, won't bark, bark down. down. <laughs> I bet y'all riffed on that. Ridiculous. Hey, hey, baby. It's time to take me outside. Hey. <laughs> we'll just do it this all night. Ah. <sighs> We can dance if we want to. We can leave your friends behind. We, we got to get Gina bed. Sorry. <laughs> let, let, let your Let's keep going. Tonight, the role of Gene is Delvin is played by Gene and Jared's played by Delvin. Yeah, but see, I'm respecting it. I'm respecting it. I'm, I'm in my usual role. Elsie, prepare to meet thy God. Pause while the dog wants. Again, if you're not familiar with this story, again, if you're not familiar with this story, Stoyer, I keep saying it. <clears throat> Pat, get out of here. And we garnish. Is it garnished or garnered? Garnered. Garnished is parsley on the plate. That sounds del- Actually, it doesn't sound delicious. All right. I agree. I think, okay, we got to wait for Jared to stop promoting his uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, prints there. <laughs> Very nice, Jared. Yeah. Very good. This isn't live? <laughs> no. People- People can't no, see like, it. I promised Gene I'd be on my best behavior. I'm going back on mute. <laughs> <laughs>